1: As far as I'm concerned, there's a football game at
2: the Rihanna concert. So. <laughs> I've been trying to tell him, Haley. I've been trying to tell
0: him. Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton, and I'm Nadira Goff, and you're listening to Icymi, in case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture.
2: And today, I'm once again joined by the legend, the star, the icon, Nadira Goff. Nadira, hello. How are you? How are you? How are you doing, my most
0: Philly friend? <laughs> I, um, I am distraught. <laughs> I am depressed. <laughs> I am broken down. But you oh. know what? I will bounce back. <laughs> I, will, I will bounce back stronger than I was before. I just, I feel like
2: you deserve an award for going through what you've been through.
0: Same. Someone give me something because <laughs> the award that was supposed to have been won <laughs> that has
2: not so been true. won. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to bring it up that you didn't bring home the trophy because we are, of course, talking about the Philadelphia Eagles loss to the Kansas City Chiefs in Sunday night's Super Bowl game. I'm surprised as you are that we're talking about it because God knows I am not a football person. But it was on in my house. I watched it. I was there for it. I I, I feel sympathy for you, Nadira.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I'm surprised you even watched. It was on in your house. You didn't like go to mm-hmm. someone else's house. And- I know. I know. Even more wow. shocking. Oh, This is okay. Baby steps. Baby steps.
2: I mean, I mainly watch for one reason and one reason only, mm-hmm. which is Rihanna's performance. Correct. Which yes. was something that happened that I saw. And before yes. I, I say anymore, I have to know, what were your thoughts? What were your hopes? What were your expectations? Tell me your dreams, Indira.
0: Okay. So I actually wrote a whole piece about this for Slate.com because my expectations were maybe not high, but they were specific. <laughs> Oh. So my expectations were that I simply wanted Rihanna to revive her 2016 VMA's performance, her medley, where she performed work and a few other songs. And it, to me, is the single best televised live Rihanna performance it's phenomenal it has life-giving energy right no matter if you're familiar with dance hall or not but if you are familiar with dance hall and if you are Caribbean like I am it's also just a beautiful testament to your roots and to Rihanna's culture and I really wanted her to revive that to showcase who she is her culture and to also you know just have a really black performance because dance hall music and reggae music is a black music. And instead, what we got was decidedly not that. I was going to say, and what we got was not what you hoped for. No. So, what we (laughs) got... I don't even know how to describe what we got without getting into all of the sort of like mess of a discourse that has surrounded what we got. Mm -hmm. But basically Rihanna gave this performance that was a lot more subdued in energy than everyone expected it to be. Reason being, well, I cannot attribute it entirely to this, but partially the reason why it was so subdued in energy is because Rihanna is once again pregnant. And that was made somewhat clear during the performance, but, somewhat I say because everyone was confused and they didn't really want to say she was pregnant even though she visibly looked very pregnant because they didn't want to do the thing That's the equivalent of asking a woman if she's pregnant, because we all know you don't do that. Yes. so Twitter was just a whole bunch of like, wait, is she, are we, is she? But so after the performance, her publicist basically came out and confirmed that she is indeed pregnant. And so that was a huge narrative of the performance that we got. But I don't know. There was a lot of really frustrating takes from people who were just dissatisfied with her overall. And the main reason why it frustrated me is because Rihanna historically has never been someone who's cared about what other people think or what other people want out of her. And I think the moment that we expect celebrities to be judged solely by what we want from them is the moment that we've really just like failed. (laughs) And so I don't understand why she constantly, is being held to this specific pedestal. I mean, I guess maybe because she's been doing anything other than making music, right? But like, whenever Beyonce does whatever she wants, we're not like, oh, that was the worst thing we've ever seen, right? (laughs) And so I just don't understand why we can't extend that same, like, go off, sis, I love that you give zero fucks to Rihanna as well.
2: I think it's I think the reason that we're not giving her the same response we get Beyonce when she has like a mid-project like Black is King. I know a lot of people like that album. I don't give a single fuck. But I think the reason we don't do as much is because Black is King is sandwiched between like lemonade and renaissance. You know, like when there's a when there's right. a dip. We know there's going to be a peak. And with Rihanna, it's not even like there's necessarily been a dip. It's just been a plateau. We've had nothing. She has given us nothing besides lip gloss that sells out all the fucking time. Okay, but it sells out. You see what I'm saying? Like she's given us so much. You have to subscribe to monthly to get the advertised price. (laughs) So Rihanna (laughs) is scamming all of us. Do I respect it? Yes. Do not say
0: that she is scamming, oh, unless you're going to say you, that everyone else are is scamming. How do you out
2: lip gloss that often? Just make more. I haven't been able to buy hot chocolate in stores in months.
0: <laughs> I, okay, as Rihanna would say, that seems like a you problem. Like I it's just feel not though... a me Problem. I go to Sephora way too often <laughs> for how much money I make. <laughs> I'm just saying, don't call her a scammer, which she is, but like, don't call her that if you're not going to call every other white male executive person and I including will. ariana grande with that rare beauty and her perfume a scammer okay if, rare beauty know. is selena gomez
2: to be clear and that oh, blush right. slaps. that's true
0: <laughs> i will call ariana grande a scammer too <laughs> I, it's equal opportunity here i am not holding back my criticism right so i think the thing about rihanna is that like she doesn't owe us anything right and so we can't We can't treat her differently because we feel like she's given up on this sort of social contract that was never actually explicitly stated in the first place. She never signed on to just give us bops for the rest of eternity. She signed on to maybe give us a few bops until she saw fit to stop. And she saw fit to stop. She does not owe us anything. She does not owe us
2: anything. Humps, ever, if she doesn't want to make music, don't be fucking playing with my emotions every
0: two years saying you're back in the studio. You know, you know what the real answer is. I'm too, I'm mad at too many people right now. I cannot also be mad at Rihanna. That's, that's I'm mad at the refs. I'm mad at the NFL. I cannot also be mad at Rihanna. So I'm just really trying to save myself. I,
2: I understand saving room in your heart, but I will say that Rihanna does seem to agree with you in that I I really feel like the epitome of the performance, like the general takeaway from that entire performance was, y'all asked, here it is, now stop asking. That is what that entire, it was go girl, give us nothing. It was go girl, give us nothing, but it was also cute. Again, I understand where you're coming from. However, I just feel like I reserve the right to call it like it is. (laughs) You know? The truth of it is, is that we are not getting any more music from that lady, and I need time to properly grieve. What we will be probably getting is a Fenty Baby runway show coming next summer. And it will be cute. And you know I love the kids. I mean, while you're working on that Fenty Baby show, can you put hot chocolate back in stock? Like, I really feel like this entire show has ruined my life. Honestly, I need some time to sit and feel my pain. I feel like I need, like, some really some music to deal with the mourning that I'm in for both my hot chocolate lip gloss dreams and my dream of another album from Rihanna. And I can't play Rihanna because I'm just going to get sad. Even more sad. So what should I listen to, Nadira, while I, while
0: I mourn and you continue to defend Rihanna? <laughs> I like to um, sometimes give myself over to a parade of death instruments by way of listening to like emo pop punk. So I would maybe suggest you get in your bag that way. Good choice. Because I was thinking, I was thinking maybe some Paramore. Yes. as Like, you know, just classically, as we all know, our fave.
2: Our fave. And unlike Rihanna, Haley Williams actually continues to give us music. <laughs> <laughs> okay. After a five-year hiatus, don't play in her face like that. Anyway, last Friday, <laughs> Paramore dropped their highly anticipated sixth studio album, This Is Why. Six years, it's been six years since the last time they dropped an album. Last time was in 2017 when After Laughter came out. And the album, This Is Why, comes at a really fascinating time in both Paramore's history as a band and in just our culture generally. I have been referring to this moment in my head as the black emo renaissance. Sometime in the past few years, I feel like the wider world has discovered that black people love pop punk and specifically Paramore. It's a discovery that's not necessarily super new. I feel like between Tumblr and now TikTok, it was kind of bubbling up, but it really feels like in 2023, more people have just finally fully realized that Black people love pop punk. As a Black emo girl who grew up in the suburbs of Texas, I'm like, this is a little bittersweet. I finally have confirmation of my long held suspicion that I'm not the only Negro to throw it back to that's what you get and thanks for the memories. But on the other hand, it's like, yeah, fucking course, Black people love Paramore. This shouldn't be a surprise. They have bops, they have bangers, they've been around forever. But why is it a surprise? Not just to observers, but to me, a bona fide Black person that likes Paramore. That is the question I have and the deer here to answer. We're not here to talk about Rihanna for the rest of the show. Instead, (laughs) we're going to be talking about how Paramore entered the pantheon of Negro spirituals and what exactly is driving the Black emo renaissance. More on that after a short break. And we're back. So I would like to know, what was your primary emo community? Was it IRL or was it online? Because mine was, like, mostly online. I did have some IRL friends who were of the emo persuasion. But I did spend a lot of time on YouTube watching lyric videos with Pond and Z cartoons.
0: Yeah, it's a really good question. And until you asked me, I had not really thought about it too much, which I think... Is a very good indicator of the answer, which is that I had a very tight knit group of friends who were diverse. Some of them are black, some of them are not. And we kind of all got into our emo bag. And so I would say that it was mostly IRL, my sort of community in terms of loving emo and pop punk music. But I definitely sought out recommendations and. Sort of general outside community online, but it wasn't like I was online to to find other people to identify with, if that made sense. I was online to find more information and to kind of go deeper into the genre and into the community, but I wasn't necessarily online to find my people because I feel like I had already a group of friends who were into that kind of music. I guess I just always grew up knowing that. A, Black people like all kinds of music, no matter what it is. And B, like there must be other people who like this kind of music because I'm friends with some of them. And when I think about Paramore specifically, I think that was maybe the single group that was very, very clear that like, oh yes, Black people love Paramore. Because I also think Misery Business was a song that everyone in school knew and a song that everyone just would like scream in the cafeteria i guess like even the guys even if they didn't like identify the actual lyrics of the song they would sing along if someone started singing it in the cafeteria and my school was predominantly white but it did have a small black population so you know i it, it i don't know it was a very complex uh dual sort of upbringing in terms of like an emo pop punk livelihood adolescence you know what about you I love that for you cuz I did not have that experience at all. yeah.
2: It yeah. was rough. It was rough I'm for sorry. me. I appreciate that. It was it was I felt like bifurcated in a way that a lot of I think kids who grew up in similar situations did in that I had emo friends but they weren't black. And then I had black friends and they were emo. So I kind of always felt a little bit like there was something wrong with me and in any space, mm-hmm. you know, very much the, everyone talks about this on Twitter, but very much the Oreo type of thing
0: going on. Was called that multiple times in my growing mm-hmm. up. Yes, yes, yes.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really hard because it makes you feel like there's something wrong with you. Yeah. and. I remember not only feeling that within my own life because (laughs) my family had no idea what music I was listening to, but also because in looking at the pop punk space online, I did not see myself at all. I remember watching like music videos for all of these bands that we're talking about and Mm -hmm. literally never seeing a Black woman in any of them as a love interest or as a member of the band, which kind of fucks with your head a little bit. But contrary to that kind of, I think, overwhelming whiteness of the pop punk scene as represented, even if for you it wasn't that way in your real life, Paramore always felt different, like you were saying. Paramore felt like they were for everybody. And I feel like I knew before I knew about Hayley Williams' Black influences in her music. Yeah. Because... I cannot sit here and pretend I was one of those kids who actually read a lot of interviews with our favorite artists. I didn't. I did not. I didn't. But later in life, I came to find out that Haley, my girl Haley Williams, AKA the leader of Paramore, loves all the same people I do. She has cited Erica Badu, Janet Jackson. and Solange's references. And the thing is, when you listen to her music, even back in the day when she was, like, this early-aughts pop-punk princess, Mm -hmm. you can hear it in the way that she sings. You can hear it in her belt. You can hear it in, like, the kind of emotive quality of her work. And clearly that resonated with me, with you, with the kids in your cafeteria, with Black kids the world over.
0: Yeah, let me tell you something about Halisha. Halisha Williams... (laughs) is, like, we claim her. She's invited to the cookout, all of those tired jokes, but they're not actually tired because when it comes to her, they are just so true. The influences that she was inspired by in Black music were very clear from early on. Like you were saying, particularly in her singing style, like whether it was the strength of her voice, which is so startlingly beautifully strong, or whether it was her decisions to do a run here or to take a note a certain way over there. Very, very clearly inspired by Black music. And the reason why is because Haileisha grew up around Black people. Like, she knows what's up, she paid attention, she had the right influences, and she was able to sort of imbue that into her own sense of creativity and artistry and create something that was truly for the masses or, you know, that was catering to multiple demographics at once. I feel like she is a testament to that, whereas other artists try to do that without actually paying homage to the culture because they haven't really steeped themselves in it to begin with. And I think that that's something about Black music that I love is that it's simultaneously for everyone and very inviting, but there's always a layer of it that's Mm -hmm. like... If you know, you know. You have to work a little bit to fully understand, to fully immerse yourself in it. So it can so easily come off as pandering or as copying or ripping something off unnecessarily if you don't actually do the work and actually do the research but it's also so accessible so it's not it's just like it's really up to you as someone who's not a part of the community to take the time
2: the thing about Haley is like as you were saying it's very clear that she not only is aware of black music in the way that everyone is aware because it is in everything but she is also in community and has been in community with black people she grew up In the South, she grew up in the church, specifically in Mississippi and Tennessee, and she has really always been upfront about how those places have shaped her music. She just did this like phenomenal interview with The New Yorker, where she got really explicit about the ways that Blackness has specifically shaped her music. So I'm going to read a little bit. She said, When I think of Mississippi, I think of my Black friends. I remember learning about D'Angelo from my friend Sheena, who would get back from basketball practice and go to third period, and she would still be in her basketball shorts, putting shea butter, cocoa butter all over her legs. Class would start, but she would just be drawing D'Angelo. I'd be like, who is that? As an adult, I'm putting together why I get really swept up in amazing singers like Aretha or Etta James. I think Black history, which is American history, was placed in me while I lived in Mississippi. Like... That's my girl. That's my girl. Like...
0: Haley is just that girl. She is just that girl. She understands. She just gets it. She gets it. She
2: gets it. She gets it. And it's like... Maybe it's because she's always been such a transparent figure. Like, all her interviews, just there's this really striking honesty to it. But I've just always felt this kinship with her. And it was really lovely to find out that I was not the only person who felt this way. Like sometime in the last three years, I would say, mm. Paramore has just been on the rise, which is wild because the single didn't come out till September of last year. So we were all just going back. We were all just like, you know what? It's time. It's time for me to revisit Paramore. And I have, I have a few reasons that why I think this is happening. The first is the pandemic made us regress all to teenagers. That is one of my strongest held views. The that second is, is, the Twilight Renaissance was sparked off by the movies being made available on Netflix in early 2020, which reminded a lot of people of the Banger Decode, which is on the first album. Also true. And then three, nothing is more reliable generator of virality or popularity than nostalgia, which is why we are in reboot, remake, revival, prequel hell right now. Also true. True. And so while the single dropped back in September fanned the flames of Paramore Love, that fire's been burning since as far back as like September 2020 when a clip of Haley's isolated vocals from Still Into You went viral on TikTok and we were all reminded of how powerful her voice is.
1: Cause after all this time I'm still into you I should be over all the butterflies but I'm into you.
2: Which brings me to my favorite thing that came out of this resurging, which is a drill remix of Still Into You.
0: i love this remix and the subsequent dance trends that came out of it that makes me wish that i had good knees like i have bad <gasps> knees and that makes me wish that i had good knees because when i see them doing the dances i'm like i want to do that and then i'm like girl you can't speaking of knees <laughs>
2: there was the time a video of Haley crip walking at a show went viral and then there's also this video that went viral of an interview Haley did in 2013 where she was asked about that one Miley Cyrus BMA performance. You know the one. You know what I'm talking about.
0: It seems like more people are focusing on the, you know, the, the, the trashiness or the dancing and the, or the the, the clothes. Uh-huh. But I actually am uncomfortable with the racial aspect of it. I feel like she's sort of taking this, um, a culture that isn't really
1: hers, and sort of using it as a as a, an accessory, and uh-huh. I, I, that that actually bothers me more. And I know I'm a white.
0: Girl, I actually not had not, not seen that TikTok until we sat down to do this episode, and yeah, somehow that viral interview clip missed me, and I just like I know we've been saying it, but I love her. <laughs> Yes! <laughs> she just always knows what's up. Like, mm-hmm. ahead of everybody else, I love her. Hey, Leisha, we stand. All of this to say that we're not only fully
2: in a Paramore resurgence with their new album, but we're experiencing what might be the first time it's ever been widely acknowledged that a lot of Black people love Paramore. Which brings us to the promise and the pitfalls of the black emo renaissance. We will be getting into all of that after a short break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. Hi, y'all. If you love our podcast, then please consider subscribing to Slate Plus. When you subscribe to Slate Plus, you get no ads on any Slate podcast, including this one. You'll also be supporting the show. Icymi would not be possible without the support of Slate Plus subscribers. You will also get bonus segments or episodes on shows like Amicus, Mom and Dad are Fighting, Working, The Ways, Big Mood, Little Mood, and so many more. You also get unlimited reading on the Slate website, which means you get access to every single article and celebrity guest advice column on Slate without ever hitting the paywall. Just visit slate.com slash ICYMI plus to sign up. That is slate.com slash ICYMI plus. And we're back with the black emo renaissance. I am single handedly making that phrase happen. I don't care if None of you are going to say it after this. We, as in me and you, Nadira, we, mm-hmm. uh, recently had a roundtable about This Is Why, the album, with our friend, colleague, and I See why I a Fave, Allegra Frank, an entertainment editor over The Daily Beast, former editor of this show you're listening to right now. And during that conversation, there was this kind of interesting tension between us, similar to the one we just had about Rihanna. Um... <laughs> Except it was about the way we felt about the sudden influx of attention on Black pop punkers. You wrote in our roundtable, when the internet found out that Black people love Paramore, it was both a joyous moment and a really annoying one for me. It was partially joyous because I love when we get recognition for stuff, and also because there are plenty of people who were thinking I thought I was the only one. But... The idea that it's a surprise that black people, specifically adolescents, would love a female-led pop-punk band that was churning out straight bangers is, woof, it's a lot, and it's slightly unfair. And as one of those kids who, as I said, thought they were the only one, I want you to expound a bit on that feeling unfair, because honestly, up until this roundtable the Black emo renaissance to me was primarily a moment of like, oh my God, friends.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. And you touched on my general dissatisfaction with the constant resurgence of that trend, right? Because it is constantly resurging. So I think the first time I noticed a viral moment about Black People Love Paramore was a tweet in 2018. And then there were the TikToks during the early stages of the pandemic. So that was 2020. And then I feel like even in like just last year, there were a few resurgences on TikTok again of Black People Love Paramore. And I love it every time because I just think it's the most beautiful thing watching Black people talk about how much they love something, especially something that they feel like before they weren't able to talk about. But I find it sort of deeply unsettling to keep seeing this resurgence of this surprise or this idea that like, oh my God, Black people like something, as if Paramore wasn't one of the more popular band's of that era, as if Misery Business wasn't one of the most popular songs of that era, as if Black people wouldn't just generally like things that are popular and things that are good just because they're they themselves, like the thing itself is not Black. And so having that just be thrown in my face multiple times is kind of like, I really want to suspend the notion that Black people only like a certain type of thing that mimics them because first of all there wouldn't be enough for that to be for that to be the case. And so I want to suspend that notion like first and foremost. But I also want to suspend the notion because to say one of your favorite words and something that I mentioned in the piece it's it is very much an ouroboros. So the reason why black people specifically kids think that, you know, they're the only ones who like something is because the other black kids who like that same thing don't talk about it because those black kids think that they're the only ones who like it. And so I think in order to just stop that trend stop that cycle it is important to have these resurgences but I, I wish that we could like do it once and do it finally and just have that be it because it just keeps every time I see it it just reiterates this idea that like oh wow we are still surprised that black people like things like like I need us to stop being surprised about this yes
2: yes that is so fair and I think really goes to the general amnesia of the internet in that. yeah what is new is old again, and what is old is new again, and what is old people will pretend nobody has ever said before. And it, it comes up with Paramore and Black people specifically because I just think people don't look shit up <laughs> on one level, but also yeah. because... I feel like that unfairness you're talking about is kind of like the other side of the coin of the isolation that I and others felt as kids listening to Paramore. Like, it's the other side of, like, the question of, like, why is it weird that I like this band that so many of my peers do, even if they're not Black? Or why am I being made to feel weird? And so I... I really do understand, like, your feeling that it's unfair, because it is. It's just like, why is this a conversation that we're having? Not least because Paramore's influences are so strongly Black, so of course Black people would like it.
0: And I mean, today, no one ever questions why, like, white teens like rap music like no one ever no one ever looks at a white teen and is like oh why do you like Drake that's so weird you know what I mean (laughs) like like, no no one ever looks at a white teen and is like oh that little Uzi song that swept the entire nation with a dance trend why do you like that why are you doing that dance like and I think a part of that is because the internet is just so much more open now and we get to see teens of all shades and colors and all backgrounds you know liking the things that they like but a part of it It's just that it's very one-sided. Like, it just actually doesn't work the other way.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's fascinating in that it's like when white people like something that is black, it is an indicator of their good taste. But when black people like something that is quote-unquote white, which is usually some diluted form of black, if we're being completely honest. Yes, correct. It means that they're weird, which is unfair, And also, how have we not gotten past this point? Have we not evolved?
0: So I think the thing that we were talking about in the piece that I really liked is that, first of all, you and Allegra put me in my place. (laughs) (laughs) Because I am just of the mind that, like, sometimes I go to a place or to an artist to get what I came there for. And, like, I'm not the biggest critic of anyone who wants to be a nostalgia band. I understand and respect you if you don't, but if you're trying to get that bag by giving me what I signed up for, who am I to really begrudge you of that? (laughs) But you both smartly pointed out something that I also agree with because I do love these bands, but like, there is a general widening of the emo pop-punk genre specifically with black-led acts Um, and Black female at acts, such as Willow herself, who is her own act, but then also acts like Meet Me at the Altar. And I think that that is showing that we are kind of getting past it, right? There's this visibility of these artists that are not, all white, um, that are making music that's well-esteemed in the genre. I think partially the genre itself is just not the zeitgeist anymore. And so, the you know, bands like Meet Me at the Altar aren't really getting the same type of public recognition that Paramore got. But I think that for the people who do like that kind of music, they are well-appreciated. And it's really heartwarming to see us evolve to that point. I just want the, like maybe let's put that on TikTok or something. You know what I mean? Like, maybe yeah. those, those are the spaces I I want to be in and uplift so that we can kind of drown out the, like, oh, my God, Black people like this white thing discourse that happens literally every, like, three years.
2: Yeah. And I feel like even if we were to continue this conversation, then we're still on, like, the 101 level. When right. if we're going to get up to, you know, like, the 301 level, it's like... It's not just surprise, and it doesn't just affect, you know, my self-esteem and the self-esteem of, you know, children across the world, which is a big enough deal, but that idea that Black people don't like pop punk music is obviously reflected in, you know, the stakeholders and the power brokers of the industry, which means Mm -hmm. that at the time that Haley Williams was coming up, there was probably a Black equivalent. There was probably a Willow. There was probably a Meet Me at the Altar. And they just didn't get noticed or didn't get signed. That is a conversation that we should be having. Instead of, wow, Black people like Paramore, it's Yes, Black people like Paramore, have liked Paramore, and there probably are Black versions of Paramore out there that never got the chance that Paramore did because y'all think that Black people don't like Paramore.
0: There have always been acts like Fifi Dobson who have tried their hardest to sort of break out into this fear as black people, specifically in Fifi's case as a black woman. And I, I just think that maybe Fifi is a perfect testament to what you were saying, which is like, she was just not uplifted by the industry nearly enough, even though she too was making straight bangers. Like, I am not going, we are not going to play in her face like that. She was making bangers. But, you know, like you were saying, the industry is an industry and it's owned and run by people who are, or maybe not that outward thinking about these things, most likely intentionally. And so, you know, she was unfortunately not so, as supported as she should have been.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think that's truly like the underside to this conversation that happens every two years of Black People Love Paramore, where it's like, it's annoying to watch, but it's also just, like you said, it's unsettling to realize the ramifications of this conversation, and that it's not just in... You know, the joy of finding someone who's like you, it's also like, what have we missed out on because of this widely held view? I want to end on a quote from Princess Nokia that she gave days after her emo mixtape, A Girl Cried Red. She was asked something like the question that we're answering here, which is why does emo music speak to kids of color? And she responded... There's a vulnerability in associating with pain and sadness that has always lived in that narration. For example, the blues. Black people have always loved the blues. They basically created the blues. Black people created rock music. It's a fact. Black people created bluegrass and rock and roll way before Elvis Presley and the Beatles. Black people created punk. The band Death was way before the Ramones. Same with Bad Brains. If you think about it, the wool has been pulled over our eyes. This is our shit. Very naturally, that's why we return to it. It's ours. It will always be ours. All right, that is the show. We will be back in your feed on Saturday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode, to never miss, you know, a nostalgic look at our past It's actually very relevant to our future. Please leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. Tell Haley Williams about us. We love her. You can follow us on Twitter at IcyYMI underscore pod, which is also where you can DM us your questions or your favorite Paramore song. And you can also always drop us a note at IcyYMI at Slate.com.
0: IcyYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader and Rachel Hampton. With a special thanks to Sierra Spragley-Ricks, Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. See you online or Warp Tour. To actually sit there and say that Rihanna was doing less physically than Beyonce was doing when she was performing pregnant on those televised shows, I don't think is fair. I
2: do think it's true because Rihanna wasn't even singing. I mean, she sang at some point. They had to have something to play. I was about to call you Rihanna <laughs> Nadira. <laughs>